0: You are listening to a podcast by Spring Hill Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Spring Hill Church is called to reach everyday people with God's grace, His unconditional love, and the life-changing power of His Word. Thanks for listening, and if you would like more information, you can visit us online at springhill.cc. All right, well, let's pray and we'll get started. Y'all ready for some word tonight? Yes. 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 Me too. Me too. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your goodness, your faithfulness, and your love in our lives. Father, I thank you for, again, this opportunity that we have, Lord, to gather in your name. And Lord Jesus, I thank you. You promised us that you said we're two or three would be gathered together in your name. You would be right here in our midst. So, Lord, I thank you that, again, even though we're in separate physical locations. I thank you that it's the same spirit of God that's in every place and that father, that's the same anointing, same teacher, same revealer of your word. And so Lord, I thank you that as we share your word tonight, you're going to bring revelation and insight. You're going to minister to us. You're going to speak to our hearts. And Father, we believe in Jesus' name, we'll be fed. Jesus said that the word is the bread of life. And so, Lord, we're going to be fed tonight. We're going to be satisfied. And Father, we're going to grow because of it. And Lord, I thank you that we purpose in our hearts to have hearing ears and receptive hearts. And we purpose that we'll be doers of what we hear and not just hearers only. And we love you with all of our hearts. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, if you'll turn in your Bibles with me to Hebrews, the third chapter and the first verse, and I'll get there in just a moment. Um, We're wrapping up as I intended to do last week, but just ran out of time, but we're wrapping up talking about the ministries of Jesus, what Jesus has been up to since the resurrection. And um, so we've been talking about how He has, there are four aspects to his ministry. And so I'm going to give those to you again, just as a point of review. And uh, so number one, the Bible says that Jesus is our mediator. We've already talked about that, but uh, I believe it's first Timothy chapter two or second Timothy chapter two says that, that there is one mediator between God and man, the Lord Jesus Christ. And what a mediator does is brings two parties together so that there can be a reconciliation and a, resolving of differences. And so that's what Jesus does. He is our mediator. And so we also said that this is the one ministry out of the four that we're talking about that is uh, primarily to sinners. Sinners are the ones who need a mediator. They're the ones that need to be brought to God. And then the other three are primarily for believers. Number two is Jesus is our advocate. We talked about how there is an accuser of the brethren And uh, that is the devil and that when uh, we sin or, you know, based on our past, whatever the case might be, he brings accusations against us before the father to try and accuse us before the father. And of course, Jesus is our advocate. He is our defense attorney. He is our representative. Uh, First John chapter two tells us that he is our advocate. He is the one that speaks on our behalf in the courtroom of heaven and pleads our case and declares that we are innocent because of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it's very important, as I've mentioned to you, that when you do sin, that, and and we all do occasionally, you know, of course, our goal is to sin less and less, but if you do sin, go to the Father and confess that sin. According to 1 John 1, 9, And then you pull the rug out from underneath anything that the devil has an opportunity to bring against you, and your case gets dismissed, praise God, in in the heavenly courtroom. And then we we kind of ended our time last week talking about Jesus, our heavenly intercessor. And uh, we're basing this on, and you can just make a note of this verse from last week, Hebrews chapter 7, verses 24 and 25. It says, but he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. And what that's a reference to is all throughout the Old Testament, one of the things that is different about the Lord Jesus as our priest, high priest and intercessor is, is that all of the high priests under the old covenant died. Their their time on earth, their ministry position ended at some point because of just old age or whatever the case is, but Jesus will continue in that position and be our intercessor and our high priest throughout eternity. And so he never will leave that position. And so it says in verse 25, therefore he is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. And we told you that the the word intercession or to intercede for someone means to act in behalf of someone in difficulty or trouble. And we're not going to get into this tonight, but if in Romans chapter eight, verses 26 and 27, Paul made a note, he said this, that there are times when we don't know how to pray as we ought, but the Holy Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. And the Greek says, cannot be uttered in articulate speech. And that's a reference to praying in other tongues or praying in the spirit. And what happens is, just as this definition says, is that uh, the Holy Spirit acts on behalf of someone who is in difficulty or is in trouble. Now, the infirmities uh, our, our weaknesses that Paul is talking about there in chapter eight is that sometimes we don't know how to pray as we all. And, uh, you know, we, we have some general ideas, but sometimes we just need the Holy Spirit's help in him giving us wisdom on how to pray about a certain situation. And so what he does is he intercedes on our behalf Uh, The literal Greek says that he takes hold together with us against that weakness. So what he does is he jumps in there and and pulls us out of that situation uh, by allowing us to pray and to yield ourselves to him so that he can intercede on our behalf and give us supernaturally the wisdom and direction that we need in that particular situation. Now, so what we can gather from this is that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father positionally and that he is praying for us. He's praying for us as believers. And we said that he's praying uh, just like he prayed for Peter, that we would not be sifted or separated like wheat, that the devil would not be able to draw us apart and to separate us. He's praying that we will withstand, that we'll be able to stand against the onslaughts of the enemy and that our faith will not fail. And then number three, he's praying that we'll be sanctified just as he did in John chapter 17, that the word of God, the truth of God would sanctify us and cause us to become pure and clean and consecrated towards him. And then lastly, number four, he's praying that we would not be overtaken by the evil one. And so I don't know about you, but it it ministers great peace to me to know that my savior, the one who died on the cross for me, the one who was raised from the dead is actually still praying for me and interceding on my behalf. And so let me tell you, if you have the the Holy Spirit here in the earth with you, helping you in that position, and then you have Jesus at the right hand of the Father praying for you, I'm telling you, it's going to be hard for us to lose in that situation. So that's good news to me. And so then we want to begin talking about Jesus, our high priest. So if you'll turn over to Hebrews chapter three, verse one, Hebrews three, one, And uh, the writer of Hebrews says this, therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider or set your mind on the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. Now, a couple of things I want you to make particular note of in this verse, and that is this, uh, the word confession there. And I'm going to work and define that for you in a little while. But notice this, Jesus is the apostle and high priest. If you were to read this in the original Greek language, it would be a hyphenated word. There, uh, the word apostle simply means sent one, sent by the heavenly Father, sent by the Greater One, and uh, high priest. So he is sent to be our high priest and high priest of what our confession. And so Jesus is is part of what he does is he ministers in a high priestly capability or position over the words that we speak in line with the word of God. Now, if you'll turn over one page to Hebrews 4, verses 14 through 16, Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. And it says, seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens Jesus, the Son of God, notice here's that word again, let us hold fast our confession. Underline or make note of that word there again in that verse. And this is very important. We're going to circle back to this in just a second. Verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. You know, I think sometimes we forget that Jesus Was a man, he is still a man, but he was a man when he lived here in the earth, in the sense of he was a human being. And things that uh, touch your life had opportunity to touch his life. He was tempted, tested, and tried in every area, just like we are. But notice what it says, yet without sin. So, what that means is when pressure is brought to bear against you, Uh, for whatever reason, to, to get you to back away from what you believe, to take the word from your heart, whatever the case might be, that you need to know Jesus has already experienced that. Now, the good news is he didn't cave into the temptation to sin, but what we can know is that he was tempted like as we are without sin. And so because of that, verse 16 Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. You know, Jesus is not just sitting on some throne somewhere in heaven at the right hand of the father, just up there in his high and lofty position and looking down on us poor human beings and, you know, just letting us bide our time till we make it to heaven. No, he is deeply concerned with with what you face. He's deeply concerned with the things that you deal with, and he is acting as our high priest and our intercessor, wanting to help us in those times of weakness. And so we have to learn how to cooperate and let him help us during that. So how do we do that? Well, we go and we ask for help. You know, don't ever forget that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit uh, are all perfect gentlemen. They're not going to push their way into your life. You have to invite them. And so that's why that verse in 16 says, let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. You know, a lot of times when we're feeling weak and we're hurting, uh, you know, we just, we cry out and we say, well, God, why don't you help us? Well, God's saying, why don't you ask for some help? Give me an invitation to be able to step into your situation. And so that's what he's crying out for. Go over to Hebrews chapter eight and verse one, Hebrews eight, verse one. And this says, now this is the main point of the things we are saying We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. By the way, let me pause here. Do you remember me saying when we were early on talking about the tabernacle, how in the holy of holies, when the the high priest would carry in the blood of the sacrifice on the day of atonement, that there was no place for him to sit down. And the purpose of that was it's because his work was never completed. Year after year after year, he had to go back and do that same thing over and over and over again. Well, the good news is the work of Jesus has already been completed. And so that's why it says we have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. He is seated literally and figuratively because the work has been completed once and for all. And it says in verse two, that he's a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord erected and not man. So again, as I mentioned to you, that uh, there is a heavenly tabernacle that is similar to what was constructed here on earth. And, uh, but Jesus is the one that is assigned to be the high priest in that tabernacle. And so the work has already been accomplished. He's already shed his blood and paid the price for us. And then if you want to just make a note that we've been basing this whole series on is Hebrews 8, 6 that says he is also our, but now he has obtained a more excellent ministry in as much as he is also mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. Now, again, Jesus is our high priest. He is the high priest over our confession. Now, I mentioned to you last week that there are three types of confession that are mentioned in the scripture, particularly in the New Testament. Number one is the confession of the lordship of Jesus to be born again. And we know that from Romans 10, 9, and 10, you know, the old Roman road to salvation. Whoever believes in his heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and confesses him as Lord shall be saved. So the first type of confession is the Lordship of Jesus over your life to be born again. Number two is the second type of confession. It was we've, it, We quoted it earlier talking from 1 John 1, 9 when we said that there are the confession of our sins to the Father. And uh, through the Lord Jesus Christ, we receive forgiveness for those sins. Now, I will say this. There is no need... For you to confess your sins to a human being, okay? Um, You know, that is a tradition that was started many centuries ago, but you do not have to go to a man and confess your sins and allow that man to determine whatever it is that you are supposed to do to secure your forgiveness. No, the Bible clearly says if we go to the Father and confess our sins, that he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thank God. So, you know, and, and again, as soon as you sin, run to the Lord and deal with that. Uh, you won't feel like it. You won't feel like doing it because you're ashamed and you feel guilty, but just override those feelings and go to the Lord with it. Okay. Then the third type of confession that is taught in the word is the confession of the word of God in faith, speaking God's word in faith, okay? So really, confession means this. Anything that we say to God the Father out of our mouths can sum up all those three different types of confession, okay? So, you know, also your prayers are, you know, that you pray. If you're praying in line with the word of God, your your prayers are, a confession of your mouth. Your praise and your worship should be a confession of your mouth. You know, there is a a worship that is an intimate type of worship that is between you and the Father and you expressing your uh, love and appreciation for Him. But there's also what's called a declarative worship, meaning you are declaring in worship and praise things like who you are in Christ. You know, I love the the songs that israel houghton wrote you know i am a friend of god and we are we have overcome and those great songs those are songs of worship and praise but it's a song of declaration so two different purposes there but they're both confessions of your mouth and then we said speaking and confessing of the word of god obviously is the confession of your mouth and um You know, I said to you, God loves to hear his word quoted back to him. It brings him great pleasure, not because, uh, you know, that he is uh, insecure in such a way that he has to hear us speak his word back to him, but he knows what is happening in us and through us spiritually when we do that, when we take time to speak and confess God's word you need to understand there are things that are happening. You may not see it. You may not feel it. uh, You know, and it might look like nothing is happening, but I promise you based on the authority of God's word, that there is movement taking place in the realm of the spirit. When you are speaking the word of God from your heart out of your mouth. Okay. Now, now, Isaiah 43, verse 26, uh, Isaiah said this, put me in rem- remembrance, the Lord speaking, let us contend together, state your case that we may, uh, that you may be acquitted. So what he's telling you is to bring your word, bring his word before him and state your case. Father, I thank you that I am the righteousness of God in Christ. I thank you that I am not an old sinner saved by grace. I was a sinner, but now I've been made clean by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when you're doing that, it's not that God has forgotten his word, but it's a it's a point for the two of you to come together in agreement based on his word. And then Isaiah 55 verse 11, God said this, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth it shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. And so this is one of the scriptures that guarantee us that when we do speak the word, it is impossible for that word not to come to pass. God said it would. God said it would come to pass, and it will prosper in the thing whereunto he sent it. So when you're declaring God's word about who you are in Christ and the things that belong to you from the word of God, you know, you're the thing there into that God sent the word. So the word is prospering in you. And so that's good news. Okay. So now I want to mention something to you. Go over to first Peter chapter two, please. First Peter chapter two and verse nine. 1 Peter chapter two and verse nine, Peter wrote and he said this, for you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own sp- special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now, you need to understand a couple of points from that verse. You are chosen by God as a royal priesthood and a holy nation called, okay, that we may proclaim the praises of him who called us out of darkness. So God has made us a a nation, if you will, a spiritual nation of priests before him. Now, go over with me to the book of Revelation in uh, chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. Revelation chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. And it says this, (laughs) And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness the firstborn from the dead and the ruler over the kings of the earth to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, verse six, and has made us kings and priests to his God and father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So Jesus has made us kings and priests before God. Now, somebody might say, well, why did he do that? Well, just let me explain it to you real quick here. Back in the Old Testament, God's intent was when he first called the children of Israel and brought them out of bondage, his desire was that all of the people would have access to him. His desire originally was that when Moses, uh, you know, constructed the tabernacle and and God's presence came to dwell among the people in the tabernacle, that everybody would be able to have access to his presence and be able to worship him. And his desire was, is that, and, and the way he says it is, I will be their God and they shall be my people and I will live and dwell among the people. And that was what God's desire was the whole time. He, he did not desire to have his presence to be, you know, in, uh, hidden behind a veil to where nobody except for a specific group of people could get to him. So this was his desire. Now, one thing you need to understand about God is Malachi 3, 6 says, for I am the Lord, I change not. When God has a desire and an intent of his heart like that, he never backs away from it. Now, man may goof it up, but God never backs away from that, okay? So what happened? If that was God's original intent, was to live among his people, to have the people have access to him, what happened? Well, if you'll recall, in Exodus 31 and 32, when Moses went up on the mount, uh, to receive the Ten Commandments, and he was up on Mount Sinai for 40 days and nights. Do you remember what happened, what was going on among the people down in the valley while he was up on the mountain? Anybody remember? Golden calf. It was mumbling and complaining. Well, there was a golden calf. You remember? They went to Aaron and said, hey, where is this Moses that led us out into the wilderness? Uh, you know, where has he gone? He's left us. And so we need a God that we can worship, that we can see that we can feel touch and we can worship. And so Aaron said, fine, bring me all of the gold and earrings and jewelry that you received from the Egyptians when you came out of the wilderness or came out of bondage. And so they did, they brought the, that all that to, to Aaron. And the Bible says that Aaron formed the golden calf. And you remember, they all began to worship the golden calf and said, this is the God that brought us out of bondage. This is the God that brought us out of Egypt. And you remember when Moses was on his way down from the mountain, he could hear the people celebrating and having this big feast and party, if you will, for this golden calf. And so when he rolls up on the scene, you know, and the the Bible's sometimes humorous to me, go back and read that story. Sometimes And pay attention to the details because when Moses rolls up on the scene, the first person he goes to is Aaron and he said, what are y'all doing? What, what is going on? What is, what is happening here? And, and Aaron says, uh, kind of throws the people under the bus. He says, the people came to me and said, we need a God. And they threw all of their jewelry into the fire and out popped this calf. And then the people started worshiping it. Okay, now that may sound funny, but that is what he told Moses. Okay, <laughs> and so of course we know that didn't go over very well. And so, uh, but what ended up happening is Moses drew a line in the sand and said, "This, okay, every not everybody's going to have access to God's presence. Who is on the Lord's side with me?" And the Bible says that the Levites crossed the line and came over to Moses' side. Well, then it was chosen and it was designated from that point forward that nobody else in the the whole nation of Israel, except for the tribe of Levi, was going to be able to be qualified to be in the priesthood and have access to the presence of God. But I want you to know God's plan never changed his desire never changed, but because of the sin of the people, he had to change direction and just allow one tribe of the people, uh, to, to be able to have access to him. All of that's found. The summary is found in Exodus 32, 26. Moses stood at the entrance of the camp and he said, whoever is on the Lord's side, come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together to him. Okay. So this is where God called the priest out of the tribe of Levi to be able to minister before him. But, as I said to you, the plan of God has never changed. Now, a couple of things. Just, just think about this with me for a second. God's desire has always been to dwell in and among his people. Well, we know in the Old, uh, Old Testament, he could manifest himself to people Uh, you know, and and show them his power, reveal to them his glory, but he could never dwell in and among the people, okay? So after Jesus was raised from the dead, all of a sudden this miracle took place, and now we as born-again believers, God moves in on the inside of us when we're born again, First John tells us that whosoever believes that Jesus is the son of God God dwells in him and he in God. So to fulfill God's desire that goes all the way back to the Old Testament through the Lord Jesus Christ and what God did on the inside in you're born again recreated spirit he is able to now live inside of you. That's why Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 6. He said, "What know you not that you are Temples of the Most High God and that God dwells in you. Okay, so God's desire was fulfilled. Now, what about this priesthood thing? Well, God never backed away from that desire either. So what happened is when you got born again, your high priest. Now, by the way, there's no such thing as a high priest without low priests. Okay, think about that. So what that means is if Jesus is our great high priest, then there must be priests underneath him. Well, guess who that is? That's you and me. And so we have been born again, made kings and priests before our God. And what that means is you and I just have free access to go into the presence of God anytime we need to, desire to, or just because We can go before our Heavenly Father because of what Jesus has made us. Now, remember what I said. As believers, there are things that we bring before the Father in our words. There's our praise and worship. There's our confession of the Word of God. And what the Bible tells us, and I'll show you this in just a little bit, but the Bible says that Jesus takes our words as our high priest And he carries them to the Father. And then anything that the Father says back to us or does as a result of our prayers comes back to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why Paul could say in the book of Acts, he said, in him, we live and move and have our being. Everything we are, everything we do, everything we have comes by and through the Lord Jesus Christ, okay? Now, um, remember in Matthew 6, 9, just make a note of that verse, Matthew 6, 9. This is uh, just a, a one verse out of what we call the Lord's Prayer. Jesus said this, "...in this manner, therefore, pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed or holy, be your name." Now, you've got to understand something. This was the first time that Jesus' disciples really heard him say, and he was, by the way, preaching to a large group of people, refer to God as Father. Now, to a a Jew that's living and dwelling under the Old Covenant and under the Old Testament, this is deeply profound, especially coming from someone who... Uh, has declared himself to be the son of God, he is declaring that God is their father, not Elohim. He's not Jehovah. He is those things, but Jesus refers to him as father. Okay, so what that means is there's coming a different type of relationship with God than these people had experienced before, all right? Now, let me show you some things. All right. The first thing I want you to see is your worship. Your worship, you, your worship can go to the Father or your worship can go to Jesus. One or the other. Okay. Uh, John chapter four. Look at John four. Quickly, please. Don't mean to sound so bossy. John chapter four. Verse 23, but the hour is coming. This is Jesus in his conversation with the woman, the Samaritan woman at the well. But the hour is coming, and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. So Jesus clearly says, we will worship God. Now we know in in the book of Revelation that in heaven, there will be a multitude of people that will be worshiping Jesus, falling down before Jesus and declaring worthy is the lamb that was slain. And so uh, we're, we're allowed or, are not allowed, but encouraged to worship the father and to worship Jesus. Okay. Now, the second thing is, we give thanks to the Father, and we give thanks to Jesus. All right? Colossians chapter 1 and verse 3. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 3. And by the way, if you miss any of these, uh, they're all on the website. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 3. says this we give thanks to the god and father of our lord jesus christ praying always for you so you can give thanks to the father or you can give thanks to the lord jesus all right it's it's it, it's absolutely fine now here's where it differs a little bit your prayers of petition or where you're asking for something, go to the father and not to Jesus. And I'll explain to you why in just a second. Now, if, you know, listen, if you pray and you say, Jesus, I need so-and-so, you know, he's not so hardcore and hard knows that he's not going to hear your prayer. But the scripture, what what the scripture teaches is that we pray to the father in Jesus name. And that is talking about prayers of petition where we're asking for something. Uh, Ephesians chapter three, verses 14 and 15. Don't turn there for the sake of time. But Paul wrote, and he said this, I bow my knees to the father of the Lord, of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named And then, if you go on to read the rest of that chapter, Paul is asking for things for the believers at Ephesus. So he said, We go to the Father. Uh, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he asked the, the Father for what it was he was petitioning for. And then Jesus himself taught us in John, the 15th chapter. Uh, In the 16th verse, again, just make a note of that, John 15, 16, Jesus said this, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. Okay, so we ask the Father in Jesus' name. In John chapter 16 and verse 23, John 16 and verse 23, Jesus said this in that day, the day after the resurrection, and he's talking about a span of time, the time that we're living in now in that day, you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the father in my name, he will give it to you. Now, you got to keep in mind, too, that he's speaking to the disciples, and the disciples were, for the, the period of time that Jesus ministered, and they, they ministered with him, anything they needed, they went to Jesus to receive it. Jesus, we need this. Jesus, we, we, you know, you remember they came to Jesus and said, you know, we need to, the people need to eat. You, you need to feed the people, okay? So they were accustomed to to everything that they needed or desired to go to Jesus for it. And Jesus said, something's getting ready to change, y'all. When I get raised from the dead, you're not going to come to me and ask me these things. You're going to go to the Father in my name, all right? Then John 16 and verse 26, Jesus said this, John 16, 26, in that day you will ask in my name, And I do not say to you that I shall pray the father for you. Okay. You shall in that day, you will ask in my name. And I do not say to you that I shall pray the father for you. So let me say it to you this way. Okay. Yes. Jesus is our intercessor. Jesus is our high priest. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the father ever living to intercede for us. However, He will not do your praying for you. Okay? So you and I still need to pray. All right? Now, uh, go with me over to the book of Revelation again, please. The book of Revelation, chapter 5. So why is it that we need to pray in Jesus' name? Well, Jesus has given us power of attorney to use his name. So as far as heaven is concerned, just a short gist of it is this. As far as heaven is concerned, when you pray in Jesus' name, heaven sees it as valid as if Jesus is praying it. So when you go to the Father and you say, Father, uh, and then you make your prayer. And by the way, in Jesus name is not just some cute thing we say at the end of our prayer. What we're saying is, Lord, I'm praying all of this in Jesus name as as, as my representative and as the one that will see to it that this is done. And so what the father does and heaven sees it as if Jesus is making that request, or Jesus is making that prayer, okay? So Revelation chapter 5, look at verses 6 through 8. John the apostle said, And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. We're not going to talk about that tonight. Don't worry about it. We'll cover it sometime. Then verse seven, then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Now, somebody said, well, is this literal or figurative? Well, it's both, okay, meaning that there are elders that are gathered around the throne. There are creatures in heaven that Paul and, and you know, some of the other writings said that they're beyond description, okay? And so, but the Bible says, and what I want us to see is that your prayers are so important to the Father that they are literally gathered in bowls and presented to the Father, and that they're brought in. And this is all, you know, ties back to the Old Testament when the priest would come in to the Holy of Holies. And you remember the incense would come in and it was a sweet smelling savor before the Father's nostrils. You need to understand this your prayers, your worship, your praise before the Lord is a sweet smelling fragrance in His nostrils. He loves it. Okay. Then Revelation chapter eight. And this is what I love. Revelation chapter 8, flip over a couple of pages and then go to Revelation 8, 3. So then we see something else that's happening in heaven. We see then another angel, verse 3, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense that he should offer it, notice this, with the prayers of the saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. And the angel took the censer, and I love this, filled it with fire from the altar and threw it to the earth and there were noises, thunderings, and lightnings, and an earthquake. Okay, so somebody says, okay, what, what in the world is going on? Well, here's what's happening. When you and I pray, and we spend time praying the word of God, and we're praying and, and bringing our prayers before the Lord, those prayers are captured and brought before God. And then when they are, are then turned back over, to the angels and placed in the angel's hand from the presence of God, the angels fling those things back into the earth. And notice what happens. And there are noises, thunderings, lightnings, and earthquake. Now, does that mean that there's literally, like we heard today, thundering and lightning and all that kind of stuff? Maybe not in the physical sense, but in the realm of the spirit. Here's what John is seeing And this is what the Lord, the Holy Spirit is trying to get across to us, that when you pray and you pray the word of God and you pray in faith, those prayers cause things to happen in the realm of the spirit and they're equivalent to thunder and lightning and earthquakes and things shaking in the realm of the spirit because change is taking place. And this is why I want to encourage you because you need to understand that when you're praying for that loved one and you're saying, Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray, Lord, first of all, I bind the powers of darkness and that person's life, the, the God of this world that's trying to blind them to the gospel. And Father, I ask you to send laborers across their path to bring them the word of God. You need to understand that in the realm of the spirit, something is happening in response to your prayer. And it may not be, uh, you know, anything dramatic in the natural, but you need to understand that there are shakings, there are moving movements, there are things that are happening in the realm of the spirit when we pray. And I think sometimes, you know, we're going to get to heaven and, and we're going to find out God's going to pull the veil back and say, you know what, this is what happened when you prayed. This is what could have happened if you prayed. And and so you need to take advantage of this now and know that when you pray, and especially when you pray in the name of Jesus, stuff happens. Things change. Movement is taking place. Now, you know, again, as I've told you in the past, you need to understand that sometimes it takes time for that to show up in the natural realm where you and I see and and we experience things. But if you will become more aware of what's happening in the realm of the spirit, instead of what's happening in the natural that's when you can have a peace and a confidence to know God has heard my prayers and things are changing. And it, you know, and I, I'm just reminded that we as believers, we need to be very cautious that we don't get caught so caught up in natural things that are happening in our world. And we get so focused on those natural things that we forget about what our responsibility is and the impact that we're supposed to have in spiritual matters, because everything that transpires in the natural first takes place in the spirit. All right. Okay. Now I have a few minutes left. Let me, uh, go over with me. Uh, let's see, how do I want to address this? Um, Okay, go back to Hebrews three one, please. I'm gonna to have to skip a half a page. Hebrews chapter three verse one, and I want to go back to what I had you highlight. Hebrews three one. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession. Remember, I uh, I told you to underline that word confession. Okay. Then the next page, I told you in Hebrews four fourteen, seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Okay, underline that in your Bible. So confession in Hebrews three one and confession in Hebrews four fourteen. Now let me give you the definition of what the Greek word is for that word confession there. The Greek word is homologia, and let me spell it for you. It's h o m o l o g i a, h o m o l o g i a. Now, the prefix in the Greek language homo means same. Okay, if you think about Homo sapien, we're all of the same species, human beings. Okay, so what what is this saying? Well, the the Greek word Logia comes from the Greek word Logos, which means words, words. So this actually means in the Greek to say the same thing, to say the same thing. So let's put that in. Let's plug that in. Therefore, holy brethren, Hebrews 3, 1, partakers of the heavenly calling, Consider the apostle and high priest that's saying the same thing, Christ Jesus. Hebrews 4:14. 4, Seeing then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast to saying the same thing. Okay, so what is he talking about? Well, it what you need to understand is And and what's unique about this Greek word is it is invalid, so to speak, unless two people are saying the same thing, okay? So what this means is that we need to be saying the same thing that Jesus is saying about our lives, about our situation about our circumstances, about our bodies, about anything that pertains to our lives. We need to be saying the same thing. Now, why is that? When you get in agreement with your high priest and you're saying the same thing, those are the words that Jesus carries before the Lord, before the father as our high priest. Okay. So, let me ask you a question, all right? And and let me just mention this. I got to say this real quick. Um, make a note. Uh, bu- 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 Hebrews 4.12. Just make a note of Hebrews 4.12. This says, for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two- edged sword. Okay? Piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of the joints of marrow and as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Revelation chapter 1, verse 16. Revelation 1, 16 says the apostle John saw the Lord Jesus and his hair was like wool, as white as snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. Verse 16 says this. He had in his right hand seven stars and out of his mouth went a sharp two edged sword and his countenance was like the sun shining in strength. Now I'm not a Greek scholar, but I can read from people who are okay. And, uh, as you know, I've, I've mentioned and taught from his material a great deal Rick Renner, in his book, The Sparkling Gems from the Greek, he says this about these two verses. The phrase two-edged is taken from the Greek word dystomos, which is D-I-S-T-O-M-O-S. And he said it's unquestionably one of the oddest words in the entire New Testament. Why is it so odd? Because it is a compound of the word di, meaning 2 remember like carbon dioxide okay and the word stomas which is the greek word for one's mouth thus with these two words compounded into one diastomas they describe something as being two-mouthed having two mouths okay now this seems a little strange but now you can understand why why Paul said, the word of God is sharp as a two-mouthed sword, Mm -hmm. meaning it gains its power when two mouths are speaking it. Well, guess who the two mouths are? Your high priest and your mouth. Mm -hmm. All right. And then uh, in Ephesians 6 and verse 17 Talking about the armor of God, Paul wrote, and he said, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now, what's interesting is this, the the Greek word for word of God there is the Greek word rhema. And so what he's saying is this critical part of the armor uh, called the sword of the spirit only becomes powerful when the word gets in your mouth and it is spoken. Okay, so it's hugely, hugely important that we speak the same thing as our high priest. We're declaring what the word says. It becomes a two-edged sword in our hands. And so let me let me ask you a question. Are the difficulties and things we experience in life, are they happening here in the earth or are they happening in heaven? Here in the earth. It's not a trick, trick question. The challenges, the difficulties, circumstances that we face, are they happening here or are they happening in heaven? They're happening here. 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 Okay. They're happening here. All right. Now, Jesus, is he, In heaven, or is he in the earth right now? Heaven. Heaven. It's not a trick question. He's in heaven, all right? Okay. So, Jesus (coughs) is not able to speak anything in the earth right now. He's not here, okay? He's talking in heaven, all right? But who has the mouth here? We We do. do. The Holy Ghost. We do. No, the Holy Ghost wants to speak through you because you have a mouth. You can articulate Mm -hmm. things. You can express things. You can formulate words here in the earth. He, Jesus, is talking in heaven, but we have to repeat here on earth what he has already said and what he is saying. He's not going to come down and do that for us. We have to do it. That is our job, not his job, okay? So if you and I want the word of God spoken into our lives, into our situations, into our circumstances, then you and I are going to have to be the ones who do it. Jesus cannot, okay? Now, we can say what he's saying, but he can't speak into your situation. But what happens is when you begin to speak his word in your situation, things begin to change. Movement begins to happen. Things begin to move and become in line with the word of God. All right. So we have the assurance that whatever we say from the word of God, Heaven and specifically the Lord Jesus is backing what we say. Oh, now, it doesn't matter if the devil likes it or not. Jesus is behind your words when you are declaring the word of God over your situation. And so he has to, it, he has to regard it. He doesn't want you to understand this, but he has to give heed to it. Just as if Jesus was speaking it. All right, now I'm done. Praise the Lord, and I'm 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 uh, pleased. I'm, I started to say I'm proud of myself, but I covered nine pages tonight, Alan Payne. So you did great. Yeah. <laughs> I'm proud of you. Amen. Praise God. <laughs> but I hope you got something out of this tonight. But it's so important that we understand these aspects of Jesus' ministry. His ministry didn't stop when he left the earth. It only changed and became uh, something different. And so the thing that we've got to learn how to do is we've got to learn how to cooperate with heaven. If, if we want Jesus' prayer, you remember the, one of the other things that he prayed in the Lord's prayer was, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It is the will of God for heaven's will to carry be carried out in the earth and guess who's going to have to do that you and i are going to have to do that we're the ones that are going to see to it that that's carried out amen thanks once again for tuning in to the spring hill church podcast we hope that you have been blessed by today's message if you would like more information about the church please feel free to visit us at springhill.cc